0: everybody. If you are new here, uh, you picked a really interesting weekend to show up at church. And I'm really glad you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm the lead teaching pastor here. And we're starting a brand new series on one of the most controversial and provocative books in the entire Bible. I pulled onto my college campus in 1986 with an attitude and this song playing on my stereo. Now, the ironic thing was, the ironic thing was, I was driving a 1978 Honda Civic that only had one speaker working, and the only thing it had in common with Tom Cruise's fighter jet was the gray color because it matched duct tape, which actually worked really, really well for me because I was a broke college student. Pulled into the campus, went to the dining hall, I popped the collar on my pink polo and straightened my mint green sweater. Walked into the dining room, and I saw a girl across, and it was awesome. That's what, I ha- that's what happened the first time I saw Laurel. She took my breath away. And without getting too romantic and sappy, even though we're going to be that way for about the next five weeks, it still happens every single time she walks into a room. So I started to pursue her. Here was the problem. She thought I was after her roommate. (laughs) That did not go well for me. Our first big date though was the annual Christmas banquet. And I will never forget the first time I saw her that night. Oh, you 80s people get it, don't you? It was just a beautiful time. And, and, and in the 1980s, just so you're, just in case you're wondering, you know, there's lady in red dancing cheek to cheek, right? And back then, it used to actually mean this part of your face and not that twerking thing that you got going on right now. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying, and just so you know, just so you know, someday your children will make fun of all of your music when you were growing up too. Just saying, you know, you're whipping nay-nay right now. They're going to laugh at you. They're gonna laugh at you. Actually, that night she wore green, and at the end of the night, I summoned up the courage to say three words to her. I said, I love you. And her response was, Thank you. <laughs> that was not what I was hoping for. She was awesome, and I was insecure, so we fought a lot, and I ended up singing this song a lot.
1: It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. Oh, yes,
0: absolutely, right? And some of you can relate to that. I was so insecure that I broke up with Laura multiple times for absolutely no reason. Laura still thinks that there's girls in Saskatchewan who think we're dating because I just kind of disappeared off of the face of the earth. But she was amazing, and my heart kept saying this over and over and over again. What really makes me laugh is this whole section over here is like, what are we listening to? (laughs) What is going on? I desperately wanted her, and I wanted to change. And so I I wanted her to be a, I wanted to be able to stand in front of her and have a moment where I was just saying, don't give up on me. I'm going to change. I'm going to be better. I'm going to be better. In fact, I want, don't stop believing.
1: Don't stop believing.
0: Okay, that happens to be the soundtrack of our dating life. And you have a soundtrack as well, even if you don't like music. You've got a soundtrack, and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to immerse ourselves in a biblical soundtrack, in a controversial and provocative book, because in its simplest form, the Song of Solomon, also known as the Song of Songs, is an intimate and explicit love song. We're going to find out the story behind the song. We're going to ask ourselves the question why in the world would God put an intimate and explicit love song in the middle of the Bible? That's a good question. I want to know the answer to that question. And so we're just going to introduce the concept in the book this week. Here's a couple of interesting notes about the book that may surprise you there is no mention of God in the whole book, Song of Solomon. Nothing about God, nothing about grace, nothing about salvation, nothing about justification, faith, or healing. So why is it there? I mean, here's a question. Why would God put a book in the Bible and leave himself out of it? Interesting. One of the characters we're going to meet on this beautiful journey is known as the Shulamite woman. She's from Shulam, okay? But there's more. Shulamite is both the geographical indicator of where she's from, but there's something else interesting about it. It's also the feminine form of Solomon. This is a story about Mr. and Mrs. Solomon. And knowing that context is going to be important as we follow this love song for the next month or so. Let's keep going. The naked truth is that we're uncomfortable with this content. Some of you are already squirming. Some of you are wondering, how is Grant going to handle this content? Is he going to freak me out? Is he going to embarrass me? Some of you are wondering, is this rated R or PG-13? Here's the deal. This is who I know is in the room because I believe I know our body here at CTK pretty well. In the room right now, I've got prepubescent minors. If you're uncomfortable with that term, deal with it. We have post-pubescent minors, we've got singles who are comfortable with their singleness and don't want anything else besides their singleness. We've got singles who are celibate and singles who are not celibate. I've got dating people who are sexually active and dating people who are not sexually active. I have married people who are blissfully intimate and married people who have not been intimate in years. I've got people who are currently sexually addicted and those who are formerly addicted and certainly don't want to get triggered especially from the Bible. I have people who are physically unable to be intimate but want to be. I've got people who are physically able but don't want to be. I've got people who are facing aging intimate issues. I've got people who are lonely and people who are not. And it's my job to want to make all of you come to church for the next five weeks. Whee! Some of you are not comfortable at all with this content, but I want to tell you something. This book is just not about sex. It's about every person in the world who's ever wanted to be loved, treasured, accepted, cherished, and drawn towards God in a God-honoring way. That being said, I know some of you are going to be uncomfortable and that's all right. I was in Seattle last week doing training all week long and I was sitting in my hotel lobby having breakfast, at least that's what they called it. And I'm reading my Bible, and a very nice elderly lady walked up to me and said, it is so nice to see a young man reading his Bible. And I'm like, yeah, please don't ask me, please don't ask me, please don't ask me. She goes, what are you reading from the Bible, young man? (laughs) I didn't want to tell her, but she saw just by looking down, she didn't say a word, but she called me a pervert with her eyes. I know she did. We're not comfortable at all, but I promise you this is going to be worth it because Scripture says all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. I've never preached on this. I've been a pastor for 27 years. I've never talked through this book before. So I'm just going to say on the front end, parents, be a good parent. We've got great environments for your kids, and you should put them there unless you want to have very uncomfortable conversations on the way home. Now, if you're comfortable with the uncomfortable conversations, that's great. I've gone into this thinking every single week. Anybody over the age of 11 or 12 should be able to handle every single thing we're going to talk about. Because parent, if you don't think at 11 or 12 your kids have dealt with some of these issues already, then we need to have a different conversation, just saying. Let's keep going. There's a key verse in this book. Do not awaken love until it desires. So we're going to talk about the relationship between love and patience. There's a key concept. The pure passion is a God-given gift, and we're going to get there. And finally, there's a storyline, but we're going to have to wait till next week. We're not even going to get to the storyline. Some people believe this is actually the story of a love triangle between Solomon and the Shulamite woman and this shepherd boy that also comes from Shulaman. Other people believe that this is a Cinderella story, and Solomon disguises himself as the shepherd. We're going to get into all all of that stuff over the coming weeks. But we're going to start here with a question. When you reach the end of your relational road, do you want to look back with shame and regret or joy and fulfillment? When you get all the way to the end of your life and you look back at the relational construct that you decided to enter into, from, from elementary school to middle school to high school to college, all the way through, do you want to look back with shame and regret or joy and fulfillment? The author of the book is Solomon. He's a wise man in many, many areas. He was wise because God gifted him and because he asked for wisdom. But with a lot of people, we know this, right? You can be wise in many areas and an idiot in specific ones. Solomon had a blind spot when it came to relationships. He got married. And then he got married again. And then again. And again. And again. And again. Some of them were political arrangements. Some of them were economic trade agreements. And they were all wrong, except for the first one. I'm going to talk about polygamy in the coming weeks, but for now, I just want to focus on Solomon's first love, and we'll meet her more in depth next week. She's really the hero of the story. Solomon falls in love with her, and the beauty of Scripture is we have the benefit of being able to see the before, during, and after. Don't you wish you could do that with all of your relationships? Have a picture of what they're going to look like at the end so you could reverse engineer them? I mean, Solomon wrote this song, but he also contributed greatly to Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And because the Bible tells us the rest of the story, we know that Solomon, at the end of his life, relationally, lived with a lot of shame and regret. Here's his advice later on in life. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. The wife of your youth, the one that you fell in love with first, the one that captured your heart, the one that you entered into a covenant with that one. And don't mock, don't mock this particular guy for for calling or saying, you know, she was like a lovely deer, a lovely doe. If you've ever written a love note to anybody and started it with dear Laurel, or you shouldn't be writing a love note to Laurel. (laughs) If I've ever done that, now you know where it comes from, right, dear It's always amazing to me. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 9, he says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he's given you under the sun, because that's your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. I want you to notice something there. Wife is singular. It's singular. I'm going to say this this much, okay? All the way through the book, God is consistent. He began with a man and a woman, and the story ends with a bride and a groom. Now, there were times when God gave a provision for the sake of population, but that's not the norm. In fact, the first man in the Bible that takes a second wife, his name is Lamech, and he's also described as a sinful and deceitful man. I'm going to say more about that in the weeks to come, but God never sanctioned or blessed any marriage of Solomon's other than the first one. That's a clue. Thirdly, the Bible says this in Ecclesiastes 9, Solomon saying, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all of these things God will bring you into judgment. Solomon struggled because in his early days he followed God's heart, and then like so many of us, he wandered off and did his own thing, all the while knowing someday he was going to answer for all of the relational decisions that he made in his lifetime. Let me ask it again. When you reach the end of your relational road, do you want to look back with shame and regret or joy and fulfillment? Now, stick with me because all along this journey, we're going to find hope and forgiveness and restoration and joy. In fact, let me remind you, at the end of the book, the bride wears white, not because she deserves it, but because she's been given the gift of forgiveness. Jesus is going to walk us through this whole thing. And he's going to do it very practically, because this book is practical to all of us, no matter your relational status. In fact, let me get you, give you a quick peek, okay? We're just going to take a little snippet from Song of Solomon, and then we're going to break it out for this week, and then we're going to wrap this up. Here's a few lines from the song, okay? Okay. An excerpt from the Song of Solomon. Now, I want to remind you, it's poetry, okay? It's poetry. It's free verse. If you don't know what that is, Google it, okay? Not all poetry has to rhyme. In fact, some of you who write really cheesy poetry and put it in, you should learn this, okay? That would be good for you, okay? But it starts with these words. Listen, my beloved, her speaking, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Like, she's, like, calling him a buck, okay? <laughs> For those of you that are hunting, you understand at least a little bit. And some of us look at that and go, why is she calling him that that I don't understand? When I went to the Ukraine several years ago, I was teaching, and they thought it was the craziest thing in the world that I would call my wife, that I would call my wife a name after something that they spread on toast in the morning. Like, you call her Honey? Why would you do that? Some of you call it, you know, you you, you have pet names for each other. It's exactly what this is. It goes on. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. Okay, he's not Facebook stalking her. He's actually trying to see her. He comes to her house and he's trying to actually just catch a glimpse of her. Verse 10, my beloved spoke to me and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come to me. saying, I can't stand to be without you. Let's connect. Let's slip away together. Verse 11, see, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Apparently, they had something to do with Washington. I don't know how it all fits, but <laughs> verse 12, flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. If any of you are fans of Disney movies, let me tell you what's happening here. If you've ever seen Bambi, they're Twitter pating. They're attracted to each other. Verse 13, the fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. We're going to learn there are seasons to love. And she's saying here, sweetie, I don't want to get caught in winter. We all go through seasons of our love when it feels like winter. It's a little cold. And God keeps calling us back to spring, summer, and fall. And we're going to try and get there with this couple. And it wraps up. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. So, just a little piece to get us started, but this is as practical as it gets. The Bible teaches here: the pure, intimate love. It begins with an attraction. It anticipates an arrival every time, and it's resolved in a godly, passionate union. Let me break this out for you: pure, intimate love. It begins with an attraction. Some people go, "That's just shallow." I'm like, "No, it's not. It's human. It's human." Every single person here knows if there's no attraction, that relationship is going nowhere. God hardwired you to actually be attracted. Now, you're supposed to be attracted to him first. You're supposed to be a pure, spiritual, holy attraction between you and God. It's inescapable. And pursuing that is the most important thing in your life life, but God hardwired you not only spiritually to be that way, but physically, humanly to be that way. The first time I saw Laurel, my pulse rate went up, my respiration went up, I felt warm, you know why? I was smitten. She took me off my feet. Some people say that it's biological, and that's true, but it's also spiritual. We need to reverse this kind of thinking that somehow we're allowed to have a a spiritual life and a business life and a relational life. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's all a spiritual life. You don't get to step outside of that circle ever. It just doesn't work that way. Some people say it's biological. The truth is it's all spiritual. And the best way to do relationships always is to be attracted towards Jesus and to trust that if he brings another person who's also being attracted towards Jesus, that that's the best way to ever find closeness with another human being. In fact, a person who's attracted towards Jesus is the only person you should even remotely consider spending the rest of your life with because that attraction will draw the two of you together and put you on the same course towards Him. Secondly, pure intimate love anticipates an arrival. There's something deep inside her. She's just like, he's coming. He's going to show up. He's going to make himself known. I was gone all of last week. And there are moments when it's just like, I just wanted her to call. I anticipated hearing her voice. Back in the old days when we had an answering machine, I made Laurel change the message on our machine to her voice. Because even if I called home and she wasn't there, I still wanted to be able to hear her. Aww. I can't wait for Laurel to show up. She's coming to the 1115 service. I just can't wait for her to walk into the room. Even when she's mad, which she's not this morning, but even if she's mad, <laughs> I still want to see her. I want to tell you this. If you've stopped anticipating an arrival, there's a problem. And there's a root to that problem, to my single brothers and sisters, if there's no anticipation. It's not wise for you to pursue that. Let's keep going. One more. Pure intimate love is resolved in a godly, passionate union. The Bible says that when husband and wife are together, that that's something God loves because he created it. And it's beautiful. Culture, we've twisted it. It's a broken picture. We're going to try and put some of the pieces back together again. You know how I know it's broken? Because every time I talk about intimacy, this is the first question that I get asked. Grant, we're not married yet, so where's the line? Which is a fancy way of saying, how close can I get to sin without stepping over? We want to find out whether or not the line actually bends. Like, can I push against it and get as far, uh, just as close up to that edge as possible without really ticking God off? I think it's the wrong question, and can I be honest? I asked that question all the way through college. Where's the line? Where's the line? Where's the line? It's the wrong question. In fact, that's a selfish question, because that question basically says, how can, as a guy, how can I treat a daughter of God any way that I want to and get away with it? We just went from preaching to meddling, didn't we? Yes, we did. The wrong question Where's the line. The right question? When's the time? When's the time? And the time, according to Jesus, is after you have made a covenant before God to love each other for a lifetime. That's the time. And only the time. Grant, that's very restrictive. Yes, it is. Why? Because God always puts fences around things that are sacred or dangerous, and sex is both. So Mr. and Mrs. Solomon are attracted, they're anticipating, and later on we're going to see they're consummating in the right context. But let's get personal for just a moment here. In my experience, the most common issue I find in marital brokenness is a loss of passion. There was a time when God drew you together and you were passionate about each other, but but then something happened. You started losing the attraction. Something began to change, and suddenly you weren't as attracted as you once were. I've learned this over time. That is a choice. You make the choice about whether or not, and I, I can already hear it, okay? This whole series is going to be filled with people going, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Let's keep our eye on our own soul and be responsible for what happens in our own heart, right? Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Just remember, if you write me a letter or send me an email, sign it if you haven't got the courage to sign it, I don't have the time to read it. That's just the rule around here. But there are people that are just going, well, yeah, well, I would have been attracted, but, you know, he started putting a little weight around the middle, and the air started going back, and gravity started taking over, and I'm just not attracted anymore. And I've got a question to everyone who thinks that. Anybody else in the room really glad that that's not the way God looks at us? Hey, Grant, sin etched a few lines. Grant, sin sin put a little around the middle. Hey, Grant, you, you, you don't look the way that you used to. Aren't you glad that God doesn't treat us that way? something to think about. Somewhere along the line, you lost the attraction, you stopped anticipating, and the union was replaced by an arrangement, or worse yet, a roommate. Or maybe worse yet, just a buddy. Well, here's the good news. If you had passion at one time and you lost it, the good news is God can help you find it again. In fact, God wants to help you find it again. But let's start with the most important relationship of all. Let's flip it. Because there are so many spiritual implications for what we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks. Can I just ask you a question, church? Has your love for Jesus grown cold? That primary relationship that pulls you in the direction of eternity Has if you let your love grow cold with him, because I promise you, if that love is cold, it's impossible to maintain a pure, passionate relationship outside of that. Do you anticipate the arrival of Jesus in your moment-by-moment life, or do you dread the fact that if he shows up, he's going to steal your fun? Has your passion waned over time? Do you have a relationship with Jesus or an arrangement? For years I had an arrangement with Jesus, it went like this, I will love you to the point where if I get in trouble, you will show up and bail me out. That's how this arrangement's going to work. That's amazing to me, God doesn't do deals like that. Grant it's all or nothing. All of you or nothing. Revelation 3 asks a question, have you forsaken your first love? And then it also tells us what to do if we have. Repent and ask God for a miracle. Our hearts cry through this entire series is going to be, God, purify me. I'm not even going to worry about the person I'm with. I'm not going to worry about the person that I think about being with. Whether we're single or whether we're married, no matter where we fall on the relational continuum, we're going to ask that God would purify us. That's why we called it Pure. So I'm going to ask the band to come back and join me and he's going to come this direction and they're going to get ready. Because during this series we're also going to create some some elements, some moments where I stop talking and you get an opportunity to hear what God has to say. I highly recommend you listening to what he has to say. Because honestly, if you just listen to me, this is going to go horribly wrong because when it comes to relationships, guess what? I got my own stuff I need to deal with. I got my own baggage. I heard this last week. It scared me, but I thought it was true. Baggage attracts baggage in relationships. What if God could take some of that baggage, and redeem it and renew it and restore it and turn it into something beautiful? Years ago, well, let me back up. When we were creating this series and putting the pieces together, we were talking about these moments when you come to, when, when you, you're wrapped in shame and regret, and you've got to figure out where you're going to go. And, and Andy, in a very bold way, said, you know, I, I had a moment like that. Where because of decisions I made relationally, I was wrapped in shame and regret. And so I cried out to God in a prayer, and the prayer turned into a song. And then he sang the song, and I went... That's it. So Andy's going to come, and in a very vulnerable moment, he's going to share a very private, intimate moment that he had with Jesus, and we're just going to sit and rest and listen and hear what God has to say to each one of us as we begin a journey towards all things that are pure. Andy? Andy?
1: abba father hear my call i'm crying out i'm crying out i'm wasted all these years in sin and shame i'm filled with doubt i'm filled with doubt Lord, let me feel you. Let me feel you. Oh, Lord, let me feel you in Jesus' name. Purify me now. Purify my soul. Come and cleanse my heart. Come and make me whole. Purify me. See all these years since and, sin and shame. I'm filled with doubt I'm filled with doubt my heart.
0: Every week, we're going to try and have a moment when we open our hearts up to what God's really saying. Went back through just my prayer journal for the last month and a half or so, and I was startled by the number of times there were prayer requests written. God, purify my mouth from criticism, anger, God, purify me from the idea that another human being can complete me more than you can. God, purify my impatience because I want all of me fixed right now. God, purify me from the thought that if you'd just fix her, the cry of purify me transcends every way We are doing relationships. So in a moment, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to do something. You don't have to. I'm not the spiritual cops, okay? But in a moment, I'm going to ask all of you just to hold your hands out and say, God, wherever you need to purify me, I'm ready. And I want you to know, I don't care if you're single, married, or other, it doesn't make any difference to me at all. When you hold your hands out, I know this, I know that God will hold them for you. If you are here, and God has blessed you with a partner, I don't care if you fought on the way to church or not. The Bible says you're one flesh, and that should be celebrated. I'm going to ask you to take one of those hands and make a bridge and hold on to their hand so that the two of you together now you can decide whether you want to okay I don't care if married, engaged significantly dating I don't want you to define your relational status right now and have an awkward moment where one of you reaches and the other's just like yeah I don't think so (laughs) okay (laughs) let's be real okay And I think it's important that we all come together. Say, God, this book is really about you. I'm not exactly sure how yet, but it's about you. So would you join me? Would you just hold your hands out? Or reach across and grab a hold of someone. One hand is out. God, we ask as a church that you would purify us. Lord, the whole idea of intimacy is so unbelievably shattered and broken in our world. It's just busted. We're asking God, would you put the pieces back together in us? Lord, for those who feel distant in a relationship, I pray that their nearness and their pursuit of you would eclipse the pursuit of another human being who's broken and flawed. God, I thank you so much today that Laurel loves you more than she could ever love me. God, that's a gift. So may all of us be consumed with loving you more, knowing that that's what's going to pull all of the pieces together, whether we're called to be in a relationship or called to be unbelievably content in our singleness. God, purify us. Purify us with hope. Purify us with forgiveness and restoration. Though our sins be as scarlet, He will wash them as white as snow. May we pursue the pure in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. All of God's people agreed together and said,